great thing about preaching in a sermon series is that you have the witness of the people who have gone before you. We're continuing, we're going through the whole text of these chapters, so there are no skipped or missing parts. So I'd like to thank Nick and George for preaching in previous weeks from the book of Daniel, because in many ways you have laid a foundation for my sermon today, and I thank you for that. And I hope as I go through this message that you'll see your influences that you've had on my preparation for my sermon. We'll be reading today chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, so bear with me if there are any differences between what you see and what I'm reading. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship, the worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at a time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said, Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who bears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Then he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flames of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace, of blazing fire, he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, your servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of the fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. 
inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way, then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So that was a lot, wasn't it? So one of the things we first see here is that the king set up a golden image. Does anyone like me ever have the idea that that might be like an image of himself, that he's building up an idol of himself as king? Well, when I'm doing my study for this, I realize that the proportions aren't right for it to be a self-image. It was too narrow to be the image of a person. So what could that image possibly be? So I had to do a little digging and a little research, and I found that a common worship idol in the Middle East back in those days was an obelisk. If you're you're having difficulty imagining an obelisk, imagine the Washington Monument, a long, narrow pike. That's an obelisk. It wasn't made of gold. It was overlaid in gold. So I have this question I want us to ponder. We know from Nick's sermon two weeks ago that Nebuchadnezzar raided Jerusalem and sacked the temple and took the treasuries of the temple, all the precious items, the silver, the gold, and the bronze. Did Nebuchadnezzar use this material to set up his idol? Did he take the holy things of God's worship and profane them to make them an idol of pagan worship? I don't have the answer to that. It's just something I want you all to think about. In Nick's sermon two weeks ago, he did a lot to define names. He, he spoke about how names had meaning, like Daniel means God is my judge. But he left for me to define Nebuchadnezzar. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. Nebuchadnezzar literally means Nebu, protect your son, or Nebu, protect your border, your territory. So we have another reference to the god Nebo, who is a Chaldean god. So we have a false god set in prominence. The prophet Jeremiah also makes reference to Nebuchadnezzar and the sacking of Jerusalem. Now the guys in my Sunday school class can tell you, I have this concept I speak of frequently called the cycle of judges. If you look at the book of Judges, you'll see a lot of things where The people of Israel are doing great. Everything's going fine. They go their own way and they're content. God becomes dissatisfied with their worship and sends an oppressor. Under oppression, the people of Israel, they they turn back to the Lord. They find a judge, a leader, who's going to restore right worship. And then the people of Israel are going to be restored and things are going to go well until they don't again. And then they're going to fall under oppression. That's the, the book of Judges in summary. And my theory is it continues even up until this day right here and now in Louisville, Kentucky. When things are going well, we think we've got it all covered. When things start going bad, then we start seeking the Lord. So here I think Nebuchadnezzar is the oppressor in the cycle of Judges. The people of Israel were turning astray. Jeremiah the prophet was warning the people, the king, the priests, and all the people around the temple, 
saying, repent or the Lord will bring judgment. The people were arrogant. They refused to repent. So Nebuchadnezzar took siege of the city, captured its youngest and brightest, brought them back as slaves to Babylon. Nick preached on the four Jews who were especially good, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They defied the king's orders from the very beginning. They were offered the choicest of meats, and they said, give us vegetables. We're we're good with that. They went on, and they showed themselves to be prominent, to be worthy, to be trustworthy, to be capable, so that the king put them in charge of things. These faithful men were given opportunities because they were faithful. So we see that these three men who were faithful to God were honored for their faithfulness and given capabilities. Last week, George preached to us about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had a dream that terrified him, but he forgot what it was. So he wanted his wise men to to interpret it for him. So none of them could do it. They all said, well, who can tell you a dream but you? Tell us what it is and we'll, re- we'll interpret it for you. Well, he got angry and ordered all the wise men to be killed. When Daniel found out about it, he said, take me to the king. He asked for time, he prayed, he sought the Lord's favor and, and went to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, no man can do what you ask but there is a God in heaven who can. Give me time to pray, and I will tell you your dream and its interpretation. So when Daniel did do that, King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Daniel, and he, he proclaimed Daniel a great leader among the people. So now we're coming forward in today's text. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this huge idol, and he wants everybody to worship at that idol. So how does he call people to worship? There's a long list of musical instruments that are are put down here. If you hear any kind of music, that's your cue, worship. Well, the Jews weren't having any of that. So the Jews were brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. Now I wonder about this. It says certain Chaldeans took this opportunity to go to the king and say, oh, king, live forever. They, they want to, you know, kind of butter him up a little bit. You're a great king. Let's live forever and let's see what we can do. But then they say, these people you brought here aren't doing what you said. They're disregarding you. They're not worshiping. They're not falling at your idol. They're not following your orders. So what, what are we going to do? So Nebuchadnezzar has them brought before him. Has them brought before him and says, okay, guys, here's your chance. You've heard my decree. You know what to do. When we play this music, if you fall in worship at my idol, everything's okay. You're going to be good. And they said, no, king, we're not going to do that. Why would they not do that? They would not do that because they were being faithful to God. They knew who God was. They knew how to serve God. And they were faithful to that. So it says that King Nebuchadnezzar became so angry that he heated up the fire to seven times what its normal heating. 
How do we know that? According to the research I've been doing, what they do is they heat the fire with bellows. So they pump air into a fire to make it burn hotter. So how are they going to raise it? They don't have a, a thermometer to read the temperature. What they do is they bring in seven bellows. They have them all cranked up so that they're blowing more air in so that it can burn. We know that fire uses oxygen as a fuel. So by pushing more into it, more air into the furnace, there is more fire. So we have the king raising the temperature of the fire, having these men bound up, three men, and having some of his biggest, strongest military guards take them to the furnace to throw them in. The fire is so hot that it kills the guards on their way to throw the men in. But they drop down into the fire. So you expect to hear screaming and the smell of burnt flesh and all kinds of terrible things. But Nebuchadnezzar is observing and says, wait a minute. What's going on here? Didn't we throw three guys in there? Look, I see four. And that fourth one, he looks like a son of the gods. Uh, I bet you all have an idea of who that fourth person is. We'll, we'll go to some of the options. It's God himself. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. This Trinitarian language didn't start till later in the New Testament. So who was the fourth that was with them? A question I'd asked myself when I first read this is, why were only three of them thrown in? Daniel wasn't worshiping either, was he? Why was he not included among the number of those bound and thrown in? I think George gave us the answer to that one last week. When Daniel revealed the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and its interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Daniel. I think the satraps, these governors, could not dare to accuse Daniel when he had won the king's favor in such dramatic fashion. So you have Daniel excluded, but his three compadres, they were all accused. They were accused, and they didn't even deny it. They said, okay, yeah, we, we're not going to worship. It don't matter what you do to us. Our God is capable of delivering us. That is a faithful statement. But notice that they expanded that. They said, even if he doesn't, rest assured, king, we're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to worship your idol. There is one God, and we will face the consequences for worshiping that one God. That's a bold and faithful statement. Is that one that any of us can make today? Do we face that level of trial and stand firm on our faith? That's a question that I think all of us can ask ourselves. I don't think I could do it. So how hot is the fire? We don't know, but we know it was dangerous, and yet we know that these, these men survived it. I made a note of verse 17 for a special consideration. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That is a bold proclamation of who God is and what the power of God is. Notice there was no hedging on that. God is able, God is capable, and we worship God. So they, they took the consequences. They were thrown into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar became angry. It said that his facial expression changed, that his countenance changed. He was so enraged that they would disobey his command that he, he ordered extreme punishment. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did not blink an eye at that. They said, okay, well, bring it on. We'll do it. We know God is capable, but nevertheless, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship a false god. What would that make them if they were killed? Make them a martyr. Their name would go on in, in the legends of the Jewish faithful people. They could be listed among the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, and in fact, I think they actually are. In Hebrews 11, it talks about that they survived the mouth of the lions, that they survived the fiery furnace. So the writer of Hebrews is recognizing these men as heroes of the Christian faith because of their witness and their testimony for God. So we see that they're thrown into the fire and that they're walking around. King Nebuchadnezzar sees them in the fire and says, wait a minute, there are four. We only threw three in. What's going on? So he calls for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out of the fire. They walk out, and what are the observations we've seen about these three men? They weren't burned. Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothes weren't burned at all. They didn't even smell of smoke. Have you ever, ever seen someone coming out of a fire and that, that smell is on them and it's hard to wash that smell off, but yet they had none of that and they were thrown into an extremely hot fire. That, I would say, qualifies as miraculous or supernatural. That's beyond what human experience can define, how we can describe it or answer to it. That can only happen when God is present and God is faithful to his people. So when Nebuchadnezzar calls them out, he says to them, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar here is recognizing the faithfulness of these three men, recognizing that they are faithful to their God. But he was also recognizing that their God was faithful to them because he gives credit to God for delivering them out of the fire. Even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar saw the power of God at work and was in awe of that power. I made reference to Jeremiah earlier Jeremiah actually kind of recognizes Nebuchadnezzar as a tool of God in the sacking of Jerusalem 
because they were not faithful to him. Jeremiah and Daniel both point us to the fact that the young men, the princes of Jerusalem were taken into the King Nebuchadnezzar's service. Are these the men, the four men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Are they the servants that they were taken? They're among them at least. We know that much. God delivered them out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. So Nebuchadnezzar ordered his people, the people that were under his control who were not Jews, who worshipped other gods, he warned them saying, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish, a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. So Nebuchadnezzar is issuing a decree saying there is only one true God. Our God is not that God. Our God cannot do what this God has done. Our people must not curse that God. We must not say anything offensive to that God. Why would that be? Why would Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, order such a statement about his own people? You are not to speak anything offensive because he knows the power of the one true God. He's seen it. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. What does it mean that the king caused these three men to prosper? He worshipped Daniel in chapter 2. George told us about that. Now he's worshipping the God of these four men, and he's causing them to prosper. Why? Why would he do this? Is it to appease the God of Jacob, of Israel? Is it to, to keep his servants, his wise men, happy in his service? We've seen that these four Jewish men were faithful in all that they were given and that they prospered in what they did because they were faithful. These four men never lost focus on God, who God is, and what God's commands are, and how they are to follow. Can we say that today in any of our churches, that we all know who God is? We should. We hear it proclaimed every week from the pulpit. Can we say we understand God's commands? We should. It's revealed clearly to us in Scripture. But are we faithful? In the church, there are many faithful people and many great witnesses. And we've seen that from year for year after year in this church and in many churches across the country. Many faithful people who understand God's will, understand God's calling in their lives, and are moving forward in that calling. We have a tradition here, 108 years in South Louisville. Sojourn is coming in and helping us to go forward into the future as faithful witnesses to what God can do. 
We've had many successful years, and we have many more to come in the future if we remain faithful to God. So let us together keep an eye on mind on what is God's will, what is helpful, and what will be obedient to God. If we keep our eyes on the steady and the focus of God's calling, and we're faithful to that, God will reward us, just as he rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. We need to go forward obedient to God's commands and to keep what's holy, holy in the eyes of our people and our congregations and in our witness to the area around us. One of the holiest things we have is our communion service. And every week we at Sojourn share a common bread and I'll share with you from 1 Corinthians what Paul said. That which I received, I give to you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread and said, This is my body, broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the covenant in my blood poured for the cleansing of your sin. So as we're coming forward to communion, our tradition is to take the bread and to dip and there will be serving stations and the map is on there when we come forward remember that this is the holy things of God that we're receiving this is the symbol of the body broken for punishment of our sins and the symbol of the blood cleansed for our righteousness let us keep that in mind as we take communion today